It's episode 69 of the Presentable Podcast, and I'm your host, Jeff Bean. Today on the program is the founder of Basecamp and 37 Signals, Jason Freed. We talk about approaching work more thoughtfully, thinking on longer horizons, and how to slow down and find inspiration around us. Jason, thanks for being on the program. Thanks, Jeff. Man, it's great to have you here. We go back quite a ways. From the beginning, I think, of the internet, basically. <laughs> Getting of the internet. Yeah, um, yeah I think, uh, let's see, well, I, uh, fr- from uh, looking at, I, I was reviewing some of the blog posts from very early on. Uh, I found, um, I guess you guys had been around for a little while, but I found the, uh, the first blog post talking about Basecamp. Um, mm. When you said, like, Basecamp is launched. Uh, and what's interesting is that I clicked to the next blog post, which this is like February of 2004, right? Four, yes. Yeah, and yes. then like a couple weeks later, you posted a blog post, and all it said was, explain podcasting in 10 words. And then, <laughs> uh, you probably don't even remember this, but... Uh, I must have been a skeptic at the time and, or something. And, and then there was all of these... Um, these comments underneath uh, that were all fairly skeptical. You're right. It's like uh, people saying, oh, it's just a hype term for MP3 files without music. Um, and then some <laughs> people were very technical, like audio RSS. Um, but there mm. were a couple, like one person said, it's like a poetry reading, but, you know, without the poetry. <laughs> <laughs> and then somebody else said, MP3 mixtapes from thousands of people you've never met, which I thought was kind of mm. kind of great. Anyway, it was were a really- podcast like was it more even more musically related at the beginning? I wonder if people like were actually making mixtapes. I think there was a lot of that. I think I remember subscribing to a couple of things. Um, there's a thing called the Hype Machine. You remember that from uh-huh. way back then? Yeah, uh, which of. had a bunch of RSS feeds for that pointed to uh, blogs from musicians and would just mm. like point to the music, and you could like send your pot your your ipod to like collect that stuff or i guess itunes collected it would stick it on your ipod and you'd have new musical all the time like right. your you know, like your discover weekly on spotify now or something but exactly uh, huh. uh but that was 15 years ago and uh, i you know it feels like podcasts are very much in uh, coming around but there's some up and downs with them for a while I mean. yeah it's funny i feel like they were hot for a while they went away and then it does feel like there's been a massive a massive resurgence over the past few years and 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 they're great now. I mean, yeah, they're so I'm so stuff. glad that this this you know medium really exists. Yeah, absolutely. I have this kind of hypothesis that it was uh, Bluetooth in car radios, like mm, five, yeah, five or yes. six years ago, with and smartphones, of course. But you put those two things together, and I think people, um, at least in America, with the commutes and stuff, have really started like, oh, I'll just you know, I'll just listen to my podcast on the way. So um, it does seem some. like Bluetooth had a lot to do with that. Yeah. I mean. I guess, of course, you could have a corded, you know, corded headset, but there's just something about the Bluetooth side of it. Yeah, like you said, going to the car or playing to a, 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 you know, a speaker in your house while you're sitting around or whatever. And I also think probably, I don't know if this is true, but I'm guessing like audiobooks kind of took off again at the yeah. same time. Yeah, that's true. Audible got really big as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So let's go back. Let's see. Uh, it was, you guys started at first with this manifesto, which is still on the web. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. That's amazing. The 37 Signals Manifesto. Yes. Uh, that was 1999? Yes. Yeah. Yes, it was. Yeah, we, we started out, you know, we were a web design firm. And um, what was different about us at the time, well, there was a few things, but one was that we only did redesigns, basically. So we weren't really, you know, at the time, everyone was sort of full, a full service agency, bringing mm-hmm. companies online and doing business consulting and programming websites besides just HTML and CSS, but like database hookups and the whole thing. We didn't know how to do any of that. So we're just like, well, we can redesign your site. And um, we didn't have a lot of clients. We had no clients when we launched. So we had no work to show. So we said, you know, what about if we just share our ideas? Because no one else is really sharing their ideas. Everyone else's like sites look the same and everyone has pretty pictures. And look, if you're a client looking for web design services and you look at 10 website or web design shops, they all kind of look the same. Everyone's got big pictures of their work and everyone's work's pretty decent, but no one's just doing it in black and white and sharing ideas. And we thought it would attract the right people and detract the ones we didn't want to work with. And so we threw it up there and it took off. That's great. And so you did that for four or five years. Yeah. The the sort of consulting and project work. Yeah. We did that basically through uh, 2000, like, Mid 2005, late 2005, when we fully completely switched over to doing software. But the plan wasn't to switch over. It just turned out that that was possible. And so we we grabbed it and went for it. But uh, it was a slow transition. And then uh, we were very glad that we made it. 
I seem to recall also, it's kind of part of your, I guess, marketing for 37 Signals and your services. You would do redesigns of kind of standard internet pages and make them way better, but generically, like shopping cart or a bank, like your account view and things like that. Didn't you do some of those? Yeah, we did this thing called the Better Project, yeah, which was... Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, the 37 Better Project. We did better PayPal, better bank, better FedEx, and then better like car interface kind of thing. And the idea was that we were, I was, fr- it started out, I think with FedEx or maybe better bank. I was frustrated with an experience. And of course, FedEx wasn't going to hire us and neither was a bank. So we're like, well, I don't really care. I'll just take their page and, <laughs> and here's what I would do. If I had the chance, like, here's what I would do. And understanding that, of course, like, it's easy for me to do that because I get to ignore all the business pressures and all the, you know, the teams and the politics internally and all right. the back end systems. I just get to design the interface, which is totally unfair. But at the same time, it's like it was a great way for us to showcase our thinking and our approach to things. And we didn't just put up a new picture. We explained, you know, why we did it this way, why we would have approached it this way. Understanding, of course, that, you know, we're lucky because we don't have to deal with anyone else and take anyone's feedback. We could just make what we wanted. But it was a great chance for us to do that and get ourselves out there. And that was something that I think really also set us apart. We did a number of things. Another thing we did was we did one page redesigns for 3,500 bucks in one week. So we did, we call it 37 express. And I realized that, you know, trying to land clients typically, like you try to pitch a total redesign, like a redesign of a big site and it's 50, 100 grand, whatever it was, it's like a big process and the sales process is big and, and long and people are nervous about spending a lot of money and the deadlines are long and the whole thing. It's like, what if you just wanted your homepage redone or just your search results page or a product page? Maybe you can improve your entire site essentially by just focusing on a couple pages that really mm-hmm. mattered. And so we'd say, we'll do each one of those in one week, 3,500 bucks. Um, it wouldn't be, we wouldn't deliver HTML and CSS on that. In that case, we would just simply yeah. deliver a screenshot, but we would explain <laughs> how we thought we could improve this. Yep. And that took off too. So we did some stuff that was quite a bit different from everybody else. It's almost like the, the prescient um, design sprints. Right. That's actually true. Cause yeah, they're one week and yeah, it kind of was that. You'd have it's to like go in day that. one, like, like get all of the, the, you know, requirements and the background and everything all at once. And let's do a prototype and let's like all of that stuff. That's great. Yeah. But we did things like that because it was just, it was interesting. We kind of productized, in a sense, we productized website development. Mm-hmm. You know, instead of doing the consulting side of it, which is like back and forth and back and forth and the six month projects, it was like one week, no back and forth, by the way. Like you tell us your problems that you think you have, and we're just going to deliver something and take it or leave it. Like that's the idea. And so uh, that was fun. We did those too. Yeah. You know, because we were on a sort of a similar timeline uh, with me over at Adaptive Path, roughly at the same time we started in 2000. And I can remember being sort of overwhelmed by the amount of stuff that was not fixing products uh, when it came to consulting. All of that, all of that overhead and all of that work and negotiation and contracting and, um, uh, and like, you know, having to prove you're, you've got enough insurance just to be able to come on site and things like that. <laughs> I just like, that, yeah. Oh my God. You know? Um, and it was, and, and, uh, to your credit, I don't know if I've ever told you this before or not, but, uh, our desire to do a product as well. We did, uh, something called measure map within adaptive path, oh, right, yes. which we then sold to Google and became, I went with that over to Google and became Google analytics. Yes, but the decision right. to do that was my a my frustration at the consulting process. Like I love the work, but everything else about it, I just found super super stressful. And B, I was like, there's these thirty seven signals guys have just shifted over to they're not doing consulting, they're doing a product. We should do that, you know, like <laughs> use the consulting money as kind of almost seed capital to get a couple of developers and like let's we could build stuff here. So I just, I absolutely took your playbook and went to my partners and said, like, let's do what they're doing. Uh, and it worked out for us as well. Well, yeah, for sure. I'm glad. I mean, it, it's, I feel like pretty much every consulting business should be their own client for some reason, yeah. for something, because it's so easy to give other people advice, right? Like oh, yeah. you should do this and you should build this. And, you know, why aren't you listening to me? And then the moment you have to do something yourself, you begin to realize what it's like to be on the other side, which is like, you have to live with the decisions you're making and you have to like put this thing out in the market and see if anyone likes it. It's a very good thing. So I'm glad you guys went that direction. It's I had forgotten that that turned into Google analytics. I mean, the interface for that was really, really ahead of its time. 
that was a wonderful product. I remember that. Well, thanks. I appreciate you saying that. I, the, yeah. I think that the bit that we really got right was that, you know what, you need different kind of analytics for different types of websites. So uh, everything was made for the big corporate website, you know, cost thousands of dollars. We're like, no, we're going to integrate into blog uh, software and only support bloggers. So it was essentially like early social media metrics. Yeah, um, I and, that. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a lot of fun, too. It's a lot of yeah. fun. So what happened internally with you guys? It, uh, it, it seems like, well, you developed some software to help you manage your projects. And then you're like, you know, let's just do this. Yeah, well, here's what happened. So we we um, we were getting really busy as a website design shop in the you know 2002, three that kind of thing, and we needed a better way to manage the work because we were dropping the ball and things were slipping through the cracks. And I didn't know what anyone else was doing, and no one knew what I was doing, and there was no like central source of truth and central source of feedback. Yeah, and, you know, stuff wasn't on the record. It's in different people's inboxes and meetings and phone calls. And this is the way most people still work, actually. Um, and we just looked around at some project management tools that existed back then and nothing was really, it was all about charts and graphs. It wasn't about communication. It wasn't about uh, discussing, discussing things, keeping feedback on the record and that kind of stuff. So <clears throat> we decided to build this thing eventually that became Basecamp, but it was just an internal system. We started using it with our clients and they started saying, what is this? What is this thing? Like we have projects. Can we use this thing? And, and our answer was at the time, well, no, because it's just like this thing we made for ourselves. I had just a thing. Like you can't, it doesn't, wouldn't, I don't even know how to, you would possibly use it, you know, but as we heard that more and more, we decided that, you know, maybe there's a product here. And, uh, so we kind of tightened it up because when you go from making something purely just for yourself to going to something that you think other people can use, there's another level of polish yeah. and, you know, instruction and copywriting and all that stuff you got to do and onboarding and all that stuff. We didn't have to do any of that. We just like set ourselves up with accounts, like in the back end and right. there's no, you know, you know, that kind of stuff. So did that. Picked some prices because we always wanted to charge for our things. Like this is something we put out there yeah. and you should pay for it if it's any good and, and put it out there. And it turned out that about a year, year and a half later, it was generating more revenue for us than consulting. So that's when we made the switch. So yeah, the consulting funded the, um, <clears throat> the you know, exploration into making Basecamp and then eventually funded Basecamp until Basecamp funded everything else. And then we stopped doing everything else because while I liked some parts of the consulting, um, I didn't like having to find new clients all the time. I didn't mm -hmm. like the song and dance you had to do. I didn't like writing proposals. I didn't like, I didn't like all the things a lot of people don't like about consulting. Um, so anyway, that's what happened. Then we ended up building a, many other products after that too. But Basecamp has always been our biggest hit. And um, and sort of, we'll t I want to dig into that uh, a little bit more. But you uh, have now gone fully Basecamp. The other parts that you built for the business have sort of, you've sort of either spun some off and things like that and totally renamed everything Basecamp. Yeah. Yeah. We've spun some things off. We absorbed some things. So we had a product called Campfire, which is like a real time chat tool, which is built into Basecamp now. High Rise, we spun off for a while, although we recently reabsorbed that. <laughs> we built some other things, Know Your Company, which we spun off into a separate business. And so, and then a couple other things we still run, but we don't improve anymore. Like backpacks just still exists. It just, we don't touch anymore but it's always will exist for those who want to use it but yeah we changed the name of the business to Basecamp, and we've gone all in on Basecamp, and we said that we we're going to do that forever that said we are currently working on another product right now because we can't we can't see an opportunity uh to improve something that we also use every day that we just don't think is good enough so we are currently working on something else and we'll have two products again um probably launched it early next year sometime so we are doing that but the big company is still currently called Basecamp, and that's all you're going to tell me about it um that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's all i'll tell you about it right now i mean i'll tell you more about it let's do another podcast as we're closer to release releasing it but or i'll show you i'll show you sometime yeah yeah, yeah that'd be, yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. That'd be yeah. great well that's cool that's got to be exciting working on some new stuff it is and and what's interesting is that it forces us to well it's, it's a good reminder that you can change your mind first of all because i remember back when we made the decision to go all in on Basecamp. Um, we were like, we're never going to do anything else again. We'll always make new versions of Basecamp and keep working on Basecamp because that problem is never going to be solved. People need better ways to work together in the whole thing. So we will stay occupied on that forever. But, um, you know, then a few years ago, but well, four or five years go by and a new idea comes up that we can't ignore and we want to work on it. And you could tell yourself you're just not allowed to, but you're only not allowed to because you said you weren't allowed to. Mm -hmm. Like there's no, it's not written in stone. You can decide to change your mind. And I, I found that Changing your mind is a really good thing to do. So, um, and in fact, like there's an open question on the table, which is, 
do we still call the company Basecamp after mm-hmm. we launch this other product? Do we maybe go back to 37 Signals and reignite that brand and then have two products underneath that umbrella? Yeah. I don't know. Or do we launch a new company? I, I don't know. But this is kind of what's exciting to me. And this is what keeps me excited about things is yeah. that you can change your mind. You can go back on what you said. You can do something new. You get to make the rules and 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 live with them and see what happens. So we're figuring that out right now internally. Mm. I like that. The kind of the growth mindset rather than being fixed in something. And yeah. um and uh, constantly asking yourself why why did why did I why did I decide that then and does is that still relevant now Yeah, that's good. Yeah, and why am I stuck? Like, I mean, there's nothing about I don't feel stuck, but like, why would I be stuck with a decision that I made? Like, no one else. Like, I can make another one. You know, it's just it's sometimes it's hard because you want to save face or you you've been very public about a statement or a direction or a philosophy, whatever, but. Hopefully you change over your life. Like it would suck if I still believed everything I believed when I was 21, you know, like I'm 45 now. Like I, I think should be different for me. Right. And so things should be different for a company too. We've been in business for 20 years. I made this other decision five years ago. You know, that's 25% of time has passed since then, since we've existed. That's a long time. Yeah. And maybe a new decision wants to come up. So anyway, we're, we're toying with it. Don't that's know. That's cool. I can't wait to see what it is. Um, I look forward to seeing that. Uh, I'm going to take a little break. And uh, when we come back, I have some more questions for you. So you might think that nobody wants your online data or to snoop on you, but when you browse the web without anything to protect your privacy, you risk hackers, ad companies, and more collecting your data. And that does happen to people like us, which is why I recommend ExpressVPN. Uh, ExpressVPN runs in the background of your computer or your phone. It encrypts your data, hides your public IP address, and uh, all you have to do is download the app, click connect, and you're protected. ExpressVPN was rated the number one VPN service by TechRadar, and it uses cutting-edge technology called Trusted Server to make sure that there's no logs whatsoever of what you do all online. It costs less than $7 a month, comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. You should just give it a shot. Try it out. See if you like it. Um, I use it all the time. I've If you've listened to shows in the past, you've heard me talk a little bit about how I have used this while I'm traveling, how uh, when I'm in the cafe and don't want, and, and I'm on the public Wi-Fi. There's another way to use it as well, which I find as an expat living in London, uh, wanting to connect to some American websites that, uh, for whatever reason, filter their traffic uh, by geography. And so what I can do is just log on to the VPN, switch over to a server in New York, and suddenly everybody thinks I'm in America again, and I can see the websites that I want to visit. Uh, and that's for like streaming, sports, or whatever you want. Uh, licensing is what it is. I'm not going to get into all of that. I think it's fine to do that once in a while if you want to see what you're doing, you want to hide your data, you want to uh, tell somebody you're browsing from another place, that's entirely up to you. Give it a shot. Try it out. Uh, protect your online activity today. Find out how you can get three months free at expressvpn.com slash presentable. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash presentable. Three months free with a one-year package. Take back your online privacy, expressvpn.com slash presentable. Thanks to ExpressVPN for their support of Presentable and all of Relay FM. All right, so um, I, I was reading the About Basecamp page. And the phrase that really struck me uh, was this one. It says, in the decades to come, and then you kind of go on to talk about some of your values and stuff, which we can get to, but in the decades to come is such a stark contrast to the rest of our industry, I feel like. The idea that uh, we are building something, and this is the thing that we kind of want to always do, and we don't foresee that changing, and uh, we're going to start planning out for decades uh, that's unusual. In this industry, it is, but it's funny because, like every other industry, every business wants to stay in business for it seems like forever. I mean, it, it, it is weird. I've always felt at odds with our with our industry that people build things and they go off and sell them a few years later and they start another company. And I I understand the thrill of it. It's not for me, but I, I uh-huh. totally understand the the, the serial entrepreneurial entrepreneurial uh, entrepreneurialism that people have. I get it, but I for me like. I've built something that that we're very excited about that we use every day that we believe in. Um, I built a company that I believe in, and I also don't have, frankly, I don't have enough confidence in myself to feel like I could do this again. Like maybe we've <laughs> lightning has struck, and like I want to hold on to that. Like what's wrong with that? You know, it's it's funny to to like some people have a hard time admitting that. I have no problem admitting like this is a, the biggest hit I've ever had, and 
probably will be. And so why take a shot at having another hit if you still have one and it's still very popular and it's still growing and people are still excited about it and we're still excited about it. You know, let's keep it going. So the reason we say decades to come is, you know, we're hopefully we're trying to will ourselves into <laughs> decades to come, but we've been around for, for two decades now and hopefully we'll be around for another two or three or four or five more. Um, I mean, realistically, probably not five more. That's a long, 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 long time. And I certainly won't be running the business when I'm, what, 90. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but, you know, um, we, we, we are in this for the long haul and we make different decisions because of that. A lot of our employees have been here for more than five years, many of them between, I think more than half now between five and 10 years, which is uh, also okay. very rare in our yeah. business. Yeah. And uh, we work at a sustainable pace, an eight-hour day, 40-hour week max. Uh, you know, we, we make a lot of decisions that are all about uh, sticking around. I think if you if you are pushing people really hard and working, you know, extreme hours and and everything, you know, hairs on fire and everything's a, a crisis, then you're going to get stuck um, in a situation where no one wants to do this anymore, and you're going to have to find new people to constantly fill in, and it, that's taxing and exhausting and hard and. So I, I think a little bit of turnover, of, of course, is healthy because you get new blood and new ideas. But I, I like the idea of a core sticking around and the, and the company's fundamental principles sticking around for a long period of time. I think you just end up with better things that way. Did you ever read the book Built to Last? You must have. It's, it seems like something. Yeah, I that know was like the 10 book. years or 15 years ago or something like that as well. Yeah. 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 I, I don't remember the book, but I know the book. I'm pretty sure I did read that. And yeah. I also read like Small Giants, which is another book yeah. about like keeping your company small and doing big things. And that's kind of what we've always believed. We're at our biggest we've ever been, which is 54 people, but that's relatively small, all things considered, given the fact that we have over 100,000 paying customers and, and you know, millions of users and the whole thing. Um, we're still as small as we possibly can be. Yeah, one of the one of the big points uh, in that book was the importance of remaining in control and not being driven by short term quarterly results and instead playing a game that's like you know years or decades long. To have that that kind of uh, that sort of long term planning and and patience to be able to achieve things over that scope of time, uh, I found that particularly interesting. You know, especially I mean now in. I would say in contrast or maybe even parallel with what happens with venture capital where I'm spending a lot of my time. Mm -hmm. um, but this idea of, uh, of really having patience and seeing if, the, you know, if you can have a vision that can come into fruition over that, that course of time. And I read this really interesting uh, in-depth article of, the, of um, Coke Industries, you know, the Coke brothers. Uh, oh, yeah. And they're like, you know, they have sort of this like particularly cruel version of capitalism that they've mm -hmm. uh, been promoting and, and all sorts and whatever with the politics. But so much of that has been successful because they have been a private industry that's grown to be bigger than, God, like, it's, uh, people don't even know how big it is, right? But, yeah. it, but it was because they absolutely just refuse to go public because once you're public, then it's every quarter. You have to make oh. the numbers, have to make the numbers. Uh, and it me. changes your Shoot decision. Me in the head. I'm not interested in that. Yeah. Right, yeah, right, yeah, right, totally. right, right. Um, but what's interesting is that, is that early experience, right? Like uh, both you and I had the experience of kind of using uh, consulting as a way to kind of channel some resources into building a thing, but that's harder for people that are bootstrapping. I think, is there, you know, some way to find an early revenue engine or, some shared capacity for sacrifice to get through that first couple of years of trying to build an audience, you know? Yeah. A few things I would say there. First off is um, just a little bit about planning. Um, we actually, we want to be around for a long time, but we don't think that far ahead. So we typically, I have an idea of kind of where I think we want to go this year directionally. Mm -hmm. And then we only plan six weeks at a time. Um, so we're, we're very much about like figuring out as we go. That's one thing. But the other thing about uh, bootstrapping and whatnot is the, the other part of the equation that I don't hear people talk enough about are costs. So there's a lot about revenue. There's a lot about profits. There's a lot about this, a lot about that. But like one of the, not, not one of like the other side of the, of the formula is like, can you keep your costs down? Yeah. Because if you keep your costs low, you can stay in business for a long time. A lot of companies get ahead of themselves and they make, they, they, they're never able to get in the black and, and they're, they're ahead over their skis and they've kind of made it hard on themselves. And that's, this is something I see a lot of entrepreneurs do is they make things hard on themselves. They set up their business in a way where they can't match their expectations. They can't pay their bills. Um, they grow a little bit too fast. 
and they perhaps for a number of reasons take on other people's expectations as well. Perhaps it's funding, perhaps it's some other thing, and they just can't keep up when when they could have actually been a really viable business had they slowed down, had they kept their costs in check, and had they made more money than they spent. So one of the things is, is that bootstrapping is hard when your costs are really high. Bootstrapping, by the way, it's always hard, but everything's always hard. But like, it's a whole lot easier if you keep your costs as low as possible. And that's so obvious, but it's just not discussed. It's not discussed. And I'd love to hear more people talking about how to keep costs in check. And for example, like one, one thing is, you know, when you buy, when you buy software, um, when you buy things that have variable costs, things actually can get pretty expensive as you grow. Mm-hmm. If you, if you buy five or six, seven different products and they're all charged per seat and you add another employee before you know it, there's like a few hundred bucks a month extra. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, for each additional employee, that's adding up to thousands of dollars a year. And pretty soon you can get, in a, you can find yourself in a bad spot. We've always, at Basecamp, we've always charged flat. So we don't charge per, per seat. Basecamp's 99 bucks a month flat. So as you grow, at least your costs are predictable. I think a lot of people get themselves into situations where their costs are unpredictable. Uh-huh. And then they get ahead of themselves and it's very hard to get, get out in front of that. So, and it's, I mean, a hundred bucks a month, that, that, that's not the point I'm trying to make, but it's more about no, like, right. know where your costs are and know what you can control and know what you can keep under control and know what you can rely on to be in control. Cause like you said about that book, it is about staying in control and it's so easy. And you've seen this, I mean, you've been around so many entrepreneurs and you're in the, in the, the venture industry, you people, people can very quickly lose control of their business, not because they're reckless, but just because business is hard and it only gets harder. This is the other secret or not secret, but like thing people don't talk enough about business yeah. only gets harder. It doesn't get easier. And so if it's already out of control early, as you hire more and more people and deal with more and more personalities and, and all the things that come with more people, it just gets harder, more competition. And if you're successful, more people are trying to take you down. There's all these things that get harder. Sometimes entrepreneurs think it's going to get easier because they're going to get more revenue and be more successful, but that puts different pressures on you that are also hard to manage. It is also the complexity of all of that and how it oh, yeah. um, very quickly takes you away from the product itself and your customers. Uh, because suddenly you have a big team of people and you, as a founder, being the, the sort of head of this big team of people that are just there to work on the company. And that's all you ever do is work on the company. Yes. Um, and there are these inflection points where the things that were working really well just always break. I remember there were just four of us and then there was 10. Like, wow, we don't fit around the conference table, which was uh, a sort of very tangible sign of our communication breaking down. And then at 25 and then at 50 and then, wow, 100 people like, oh, my God, you know, we have all these systems now that are managed by people that and nobody in all of that, it's still like, who's working on the product and, and connected to the users of that product and things like that. That stuff evaporates very quickly, um, I think, with a lot of scale, unless you're very, very careful about it. Totally true. It's, I'm so glad you brought that up because this is the other thing that gets harder is that the things you did when you were smaller stop working yeah. when you are a little bit bigger. And not just a little bit bigger, but like only for, you know, for, from let's say from one to five, it works one way. Like and then from maybe from five to 12, it's another way, but then it breaks again from like mm-hmm. 12 to 20 and then 20 to 30. And you, you constantly, you know, we, we talk about this in our, in our book, it doesn't have to be crazy at work that you should think of your company as a product. <clears throat> your company needs to change just like your products need to change. You iterate on your products to make them better and you need to iterate on your internal processes to make them better, not way after they're broken. Not when, you know, once you have super, but if you think about it in terms of software, like you wouldn't go fix or you wouldn't go improve your software once it like stops working completely. But that's what a lot of, that's what happens to a lot of companies is that they're basically, they stop working completely in a sense. They grind to a halt. Everything becomes, everything slows down. No one can figure out what's going on anymore. It's really complicated. And then they set out to try to figure out what's going, what's gone wrong. But you have to do that on top of the work that you also have to do, which is why it never gets done. It's like the cobbler shoes kind of thing. Mm. So I think it's really important to think about staying a little bit ahead of of the problems you foresee coming on and iterating your company and adjusting how you work as you go, including the tools you use and including the methods you have and all the different things. And also not assuming that whatever you're using now is going to work later. So you may have to change the tools, even though uh, they were better for you at a certain period of your time, uh, of your company's life cycle. So always be aware of 
what's changing around you, and always recognize that what worked today will probably not work as you continue to grow. It's, uh, that's true of life, too. <laughs> oh, so true. So true. Just the reflecting. nice thing about companies, though, that's different about life is like life kind of <laughs> life. Well, let me say companies, you can kind of hopefully manage. Yeah. Or you can be, you can intend to manage the, the, the growth and size of your business. Where like life, you just get older and you can't really do anything about that. So (laughs) your your knees hurt now because they just hurt. Like that's just what happens. And like you got this other thing and you don't remember things as well as you could before because that's just what happens. There was a time where I could go have a few beers after work and everything was fine the next day. And that time has passed. Like that doesn't (laughs) doesn't work anymore. It takes three days to recover now. (laughs) I I noticed this with travel. Like even if I just travel like two time zones, like. I'm yeah. kind of, you know, it's I'm just slower. Recovery is slower. And, you know, businesses are are artificial in that way where you know, growth is something you can control, but 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 you know, life and health and age is not. You so much of over the years, uh, what you have posted, you and uh the rest of the the members of the team, yeah, is is it tends to be less about like how to make good products. And I mean that in the sense of like what I see a lot on Twitter from a lot of our designers and things like that. Like here are techniques to better product development and here are techniques to better, like here's what's new in design and here's how animation should work and stuff like that. But much more about the way we do our work, like how yeah. we interact with one another, what are sustainable ways of doing projects or how do we like not bother each other during work? Like all of that stuff feels like a lot of that is probably in the new book as well. It is. Yeah. Both in, it doesn't have to be crazy at work and shape up. We kind of describe work methods and approaches and, and also, and the why behind them. Um, now what we don't, what we try not to do is, is give people actionable advice. Like I don't really want to tell people what to do. Uh I used to want to do that. And I've realized that that's not the best way to, to, to encourage people to do things. Um, the best way is to say like, look, here's what we've done. Um, in our situation, this is what worked for us. Here's why it worked for us. And here's the, why we made these decision, decisions. But for you, it may work differently. But, you know, use this as an example of like how a company can work, not necessarily how you must work or how you should mm-hmm. work. But we do have some points of view. I mean, I have some stronger held beliefs around certain things. But for the most part, we just want to share our experiences. And um, what I've found is that, you know, like like you said, like there, there's there's lots of room for um, like executional technique posts and stories, like how do you, how do you animate this or how do you do that or how do you use this tool? And, and those are of course hugely valuable. I mean, that's where you learn most of the things that you know. But I don't think there's been enough talk about the actual um, mechanics of how teams work well together and how they work poorly together and why they work well and why they work poorly and and even around basic things that everybody takes for granted. So for example. Like at Basecamp, we don't have shared calendars. I can't see anyone else's calendar. No one else can see mine. Yep. Now, at most companies, that's not the way it works. Most companies, they have a shared calendar system. You want to invite someone to someone, you look at their calendar, you pick an empty spot and the whole yeah. thing. But what ends up happening is that your calendar is filled with other people's time. And when your calendar is now filled with other people's time and people can take your time from you, you're left with less time. When you're left with less time, you either tend to rush or you work longer than you need to. And or your days are, are splintered into small gaps where you have to wedge work in between other things that other people put on your calendar. And we don't think that that's a valuable, that, we don't think that's the best way to work. We think everyone should have a full eight-hour day to themselves to decide how they want to use their own time and no one can take their time. If you, wanna, if you want someone's time, you have to ask them for it. Now, you could say that clicking in a, a, a block on a calendar and, and sending an invite is asking someone, but that's not. That's a system sending an invitation. If someone wants some of my time or I want some someone or some of someone else's time, I actually say, "Hey, uh Jonas, um are you free at Thursday or on Thursday at 3 for maybe a half hour? I want to run something by you." And he'll say, "Uh yes or no or sure or not or whatever." And we mm-hmm. have a negotiation, a conversation because this is about time. This is his time. It's not mine, it's his. And so he should be in control of that, not me. And so Things like that, which seems subtle, like they're subtle distinctions, but they have a huge impact because there's a lot of downstream effects of, of you losing time to other people and making it too easy for other people to take your time. So that's the kind of stuff we're most interested in because that's, that's the foundational stuff that gives you or takes 
the opportunity for you to do all the executional stuff. If you don't have the foundation right, you can't execute well. So we're trying to get to the foundation. That's yeah. what the, our books are typically about. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. No, I remember when I first got to Adobe and because <laughs> uh, it was very similar at Typekit. We didn't have the shared calendars or anything like that. Um, and I got to Adobe and my first week I look at my calendar and it's full of meetings. And I, I'm like, I don't even know who yep. any of these people are. What, what, <laughs> what's happening? Yep. Um, and ended up uh, in a, in a finally like just blocking big chunks of my, my day off when I could and tried to hold onto those as like, you know, work. I had to schedule work into my calendar. Um, yeah. Yeah. It was frustrating. Uh, it's like, it, that's what you're there for, but you have to like, and this is kind of why I, I believe that people work longer these days, not because there's more work to do, but because there's less time to do the work because yeah. we're all busy with stuff that isn't work at work. And you know, it, it has a fundamental impact on not only work, but life. You know, um, people talk about work-life balance and everything. It really, unfortunately, begins to work because work is the aggressor. Work is the thing that takes time away from the rest of your life. And so when you don't have time to do your work at work, you have to do it at life. And when you do it at life, it takes time away from your partner, your kids, your friends, your, your hobbies, whatever it might be. And, and that's, so that's why this stuff is so important because it has like, again, downstream impacts that are fundamental to your actual life. And that's why we care a lot about this. So this episode of Presentable is brought to you by our friends at Pingdom, the company who makes website performance monitoring really easy. So everybody loves a fast website and Pingdom are helping to keep your favorite websites online. And that includes Netflix, Amazon, Spotify, Twitter, Buzzfeed, Slack. There are and so many companies who trust Pingdom to take care of their website monitoring. Uh, what you know, websites can get pretty complicated, and you can monitor anything that's happening on these complicated websites with Pingdom. So, if you have stuff like user registrations or logins or checkouts or or, or anything. Pingdom will care about your users having the smoothest experience possible. Uh, and if disaster does strike, you'll be the first to know. It's super easy to get started. All you need to do is give Pingdom your URL, and they'll take care of the rest. Really, that's it. You just put in your URL, and they start monitoring it uh, 24-7, and we'll let you know as soon as there's a problem. So if you go to pingdom.com slash RelayFM right now for a 14-day trial... Uh, and you won't even need a credit card to sign up. When you sign up, please do use the code PRESENTABLE at checkout, and you'll get 30% off your first invoice after your trial. That's 30% off with the code PRESENTABLE if you go to pingdom.com slash RelayFM. All right, so thanks to Pingdom for their support of this show and all of RelayFM. All right, um, I am wondering through all of this, working on this, these products for the last 15 years, just uh, it seems to me that you guys are, uh, what's the right word for this? I don't think, I mean, conservative is one word, I think, that um, may or may not fit with you. But it, but it seems like uh, your products are very solid, um, always very usable, always very simple, uh, and just not on that cycle of what's the next trend happening in design. And I just wonder... Uh, where that comes from and what you're, where you look for inspiration and how to improve your products. Yeah. Um, is conservative all right? Can for I? the most, <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. No, it's a great question. I think, you know, for us, we tend not to look to our own industry for inspiration. Uh, I, I find that if you really look around and you kind of squint at a lot of products, they, you couldn't tell which, you know, one from another. Yeah. Like right now, the hot thing is to have like a sidebar on the left that's kind of dark, like dark gray or even dark purple and have a you know, bunch of links in it. And on the right, there's like content. It's like, that could be Slack. It could be, you know, a million different things, right? It's like, I don't know what that is. Um, because because this is what happens across all industries. You look at any, you go look at the cereal shelf. All the cereal boxes kind of look the same. Go look at magazines. They all have a person's face on them. Like industries tend to look to themselves for inspiration, and they end up following each other in, in this vicious circle. Um, and it's very hard to break out of that when, when that's the only place you look. So we tend not to look to our own industry. I don't like to look at other software for inspiration. I don't want to be, I don't want to have their ideas in my head. I really don't. Um, and that's why Basecamp and our products typically look different. They're simpler. They're not chasing trends. I mean, we're, we're, we're sort of generally aware of the, the zeitgeist of, you know, the design industry and whatnot, because we live 
in the world too. But we, we've always tried to have our own look and feel and our own approach and our own point of view and our own perspective. Um, so like for me, inspiration, I like to look at like furniture design or mm. architecture or just nature. I mean, if you want to find the best colors you can find, just go look outside. Like it's been perfected. Go look at it. Like there's a beautiful bird called the cedar waxwing. I don't know if you know this bird, yeah. but look it up. Uh, it is absolutely beautiful. It's mm. a, it, it's a, it has an unusual color palette. It's like this uh, yellow cream thing, but then has these little spikes of red and, and blue and just, and, and a black, really nice black eye that kind of swoops. It's just, it's so beautiful. And you look at that and you go, what a wonderful palette of colors and what wonderful gradients. Like, it's not just the colors. It's like how the colors mix and how they come together and the textures. And you're like, you could look through a million design annuals and you can look through a million pieces of software. You'll never find that, but that is beautiful and it's beautiful to humans and it's beautiful to birds and it's probably beautiful to insects. It's beautiful to a lot of things like flowers. Another thing you look at a flower, Richard Feynman talked about this, one of the, one of his books or one of his videos about how, um, what's interesting about flowers is how beautiful they are to us, but they're also beautiful to pollinators. And because pollinators are attracted by the beauty of the flower. Mm -hmm. And um, it's like, that's interesting that there is some sense of universal beauty or, you know, cross species beauty and cross genus beauty. There's something about this that just flat out works. And so I like to look at things like that versus like what's hot right now in the design world, because we all know that that's a moment in time. A flower, a bird, yeah, it's a moment in time, but that time scale is, you know, 20 million years or something. Like, you know, it's, it's just a different thought. So um, I, I, anyway, th- those are the kinds of things that I like to look, look at when I'm looking for a color or a shape or a texture or some sort of inspiration. I don't even know what the inspiration is that I'm looking for. I just like to look at nature and spot some stuff that I think is really beautiful. So that's going to tie in with the sort of philosophies you were talking about with work, with without running like crazy from meeting to meeting, but having some time for reflection, for oh, yeah. inspiration, for synthesis. Oh, you know, you know, Jeff, like this is the thing that like, I, I think it's tragic that I'm guessing, and I'll, I'll ask your listeners, I've asked people at conferences before and like hardly any hands go up and I'll ask your listeners, like when's the last time you had, this is maybe a bit generous, but I'll say four hours to yourself just to think at work. Basically, no one's nodding right now or no one's raising right. their, their hand like they're, they're shaking their head. They go, uh-huh. Yeah, never like thinking and reflection and perspective and consideration like these are incredibly important things to do. Yet nobody has time to do those at work anymore. Like you, if someone's just sitting around for two hours, you'd think something was wrong with them. Like that's just kind of what's happened. And, and I think that's really unfortunate. So I, I think and by the way, this is also slightly removed from, from this point, but this is also why I think it's so important to just work about 40 hours ish. You know, sometimes it's 45, whatever, but you know, like get out of, go home, do something else, spend time on a hobby or, or spend time on the weekends or whatever you need to reflect. And part of that reflection is unconscious and subconscious. You need to sleep on it. You need to wake up the next morning and you have fresh eyes and you see something different. If you're just staring at something forever, you're never going to see anything different about it. So I think getting away is one of the best ways to actually get better at something is to stay away from it because you come back and you see it with fresh eyes. So perspective, thinking, reflection, all these things I think are really important to do and you need time to do those sorts of things. There are also skills to learn. I find it. Oh, yeah. uh, Even if I do find the time for myself. Um you know, even I'm like, oh, I, there's a thing I want to write and I'm going to block off a few hours and I've got the time. The like, oh, how do I slow my brain down? How do I stop worrying about what's happening in the inbox? Like, I, can, I don't want to look at the phone, you know, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, totally. I mean, and unfortunately, I think we're up against an industry that is peddling addiction in, in many ways. I think the, I mean, the, the phone is an addictive thing. I mean, hmm. you just look and anyone who disputes that, you just look around and like people are just fixated on their phones all the time. And so you're right. It is a skill. And like, I'm not, and I'm not an expert at it either. Like I, I have to remind myself to, to reflect and to stop looking at something and to stop doing something and to give myself time. So this is a, a lifelong pursuit, but I think it's, it's, it's a worthy pursuit and, and, um, you've just got to pay attention to, to, to things and not just be absorbed all the time by, 
the things that drive your day. And most of those things, by the way, are other people's needs and other people's um, requests and other people's, you know, pings and whatever. Uh, Very, very, there's very few hours in the day that are driven by the, by yourself anymore, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's remarkable. Um, Yeah. So uh, give me a sense of uh, now what the, what it's like for the team. Uh, what is the pace? What is the flow like in a in a t- typical base camp day? Sure. Well, you know, so we work in uh, these six week cycles, and um, six week cycles basically mean that anything that we do, any feature we're building, or anything we're doing, we always chunk it into at maximum six week blocks. And mm-hmm. usually, projects are either between two and three weeks or three and six weeks. And so, um, for example. Monday, this upcoming Monday, uh, we begin a new cycle. So it's six weeks worth of work ahead of us. We're working on this new product primarily right now. And so I've sort of specced out with a few other people, like four or five different projects we're going to take on over these next six weeks that are, are new features for this product. And um, right now we're in what's called cool-down mode. So between these six-week cycles, we take two weeks off, not off of work, but off of structured work, Mm. where people can kind of freelance around the company and sort of tighten some things up and fix some things that were bugging them or fix a bug here and there or rewrite some copy that was like, eh, you know, I don't know, I'm not really a fan of this, but it's all right. And then you have some time. So between the cycles, there's two weeks of cool-down. So we're in that right now. So right now people are kind of doing their own thing. And then we begin structured work again on Monday. And um, there's about, like I said, four or five projects, and we have um, a few teams. So each team is two programmers and one designer, typically, or, or one programmer and one designer. So our teams are at least three or fewer, never more than that. And, uh, and they're kind of going to take on their projects. And, and so we're about to start that up. And that's kind of the more like, intense um, uh, time here because there's structured work and there's, and there's you know, six weeks max to get it all done. But um, what's nice about it is that each team is autonomous in, in that they are never given tasks. We don't assign tasks to anybody. What we do is assign projects and the teams get to decide how they want to implement the work. And they also get to push back on the work and say, well, here was the idea. This is the, the idea of the project. And there's a version of this we could do in this time. And there's a version of it we can do in this time. And it's one feature might be kind of complicated, but if we, there's like a three week version of that and a three day version of that, like is it okay if we do the three-day version? Then there's like these conversations and we're trading back and forth and yeah. go, yeah, that trade-off's worth it or this one isn't. So it's work is also a, a, a collection of negotiations mm. and um, it's a really nice flowing thing that happens. And then we we finish the work up, we take our two-week cycle breaks and we, we shape up some new work to do over the next six weeks and we kind of figure out what we're going to do every six weeks. So um, this is a really exciting time when we begin to 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 do a new cycle. So that's kind of what's going on, and that's basically just product development. Customer service works in a different way, of course. Oper- technical operations works at a different pace, and some things like that. But that's you know, I'm primarily focused on the product. I mean, mm-hmm. I run the business, but I'm focused on the product, and that's kind of what's going on in our our world right now. I mean, there's a sort of pacing there to it, where it's just not sprinting all the time, which is wonderful. Yeah, I'm not. I, so I don't even like the word sprint, uh, and and these aren't sprints. Uh, I think sprints. No. Like, no. I, I appreciate some of the thinking behind like design sprints. And like, I, I I get that, but the word I think I think words matter a lot yeah. because they set the tone. And in the back of your mind, you're thinking sprint means fast. I'm going to be exhausted at the end, or it's like I got it. It's short. It's short distance. It's you know whatever, and I have to go all out and whatever. For us, the six weeks is is a number we've picked. We've messed around with a lot of different periods of time. But the nice thing about six weeks is that it's adequate time to make significant progress on something, but it's not too much time and that you end up like second guessing yourself and redoing things that you just did. I mean, I used to work on projects where like it wasn't done unless we redid it three times because you had the time to do that. And then after a certain period of time, you end up second guessing your design because like you've been looking at it for so long, you get sick of it yourself. And six weeks is a good way to prevent that from happening. The other thing Mm -hmm. is that six weeks is good because at the very worst, you're almost done right before you start. Like there's going to be times where you have to work on something you don't love for whatever reason, or you don't even like love is even too strong. Like you don't like, and there are a few things more demoralizing at work than working on something you don't like that has no end in sight, you know, like we're in the ninth month of this project. I hate like, and I don't know, it could go on 
16 months. Who knows, right? Like we've all been involved with that. At the very worst at base camp, you're going to be doing something you don't like for six weeks and then you get a chance to do something else. And so these are these what we call circuit breakers that we put in place to, to circumvent the worst of human nature, which is one of the worst parts of human nature is pouring more into something that isn't working. So you know, we've all probably been in the, involved in these projects where you work on it for four months and five months and six months. And you're like, I don't know, maybe we should stop doing this, but like, we can't, mm-hmm. we've already put six months. And so it's just, let's give it another month. Let's give it another two months. And it's never just another month. And it's never just another two months. And before you know it, it's a year in, and then it's a year, you know, in three months. And now you really can't cancel the thing or change direction because you've got all this momentum and all this time and all this investment behind you. And the worst, you know, things take over, which is that you're trying to, you know, protect your investment when really you're just putting bad money after bad money, and it's not even money, but time and the whole thing. So anyway, we prevent ourselves from doing that by saying six weeks is the most we'll give something. That's great. And it sounds so sustainable. Like yeah. you can keep doing. <laughs> That's um, the other thing. It's not like, yeah. oh, you work on something for a year and a half that you hated. Like, okay, ready to do that again? It's like, no, I'm not. I'm quitting. Goodbye. <laughs> That's See right. Ya. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And it's then it's a constant churn of of new people coming in and just trying to do it. So, right. uh, man, I really appreciate your perspective on all of this. It's just uh, it's very refreshing. Oh, thank you. Honest. Well, thank yeah. you. No, we've I, been, like I mean, we've been figuring this stuff out for 15 years. So this isn't like something that popped into our head. Like we've been living it yeah. and and revising and iterating on it. And this is sort of where we are right now. It feels right. Finally, let's uh, let's talk again in 15 years and see how you're <laughs> going. I'd love to. Hopefully my voice will still hold up and uh, <laughs> we can do that. <laughs> that sounds great. Yeah, cool. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure everybody go, goes over to Basecamp and gives, if they haven't checked it out in the last uh, decade or so, they should definitely do so. We're big users at True Ventures. I love it. I use it every day. Yeah, cool. So thanks for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Works really well for us. Thank you. Um, let's see. Signal V Noise, the yeah. uh, blog, has also been going on for 20 years or 15 years or something like that. I got a link to that in the show notes. And uh, they should check out your podcast, Rework.fm. That'd be great. Please. Yeah, um, thank you. The book's uh, Shape Up is the one you published that just online, which is great sort of guide to complex projects and kind of being human and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the new book, uh, or the book last year, It Doesn't Have to Be Crazy at Work, which is such a great title. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just look at the cover. The cover like, explains the whole book. So like, look yeah. at the cover and go, if that's me, then I should probably read this. And you can also... Our books are, are short. You can read them in two, three hours and move on. I hate business books that like take you know, like 12 hours to read. It's like I never <sighs> finish them. And they're, a lot, they're very repetitive and everything. So we try to cut things down and make it just what you need to know, and then you can get on with your day. Books should be like TED Talks. Maybe. I agree. I really do. Yeah. I mean, of course, like a, a biography that's like 900 pages could be fascinating, you know. But like a lot of this business stuff, a lot of books should probably just be blog posts, really. I don't know. Um, but then they kind of ex- they kind of throw them in and, and extend them and, and to the point where they're they're you don't need to read the whole thing. Totally agree. Totally. Uh, I got a giant picture of a cedar waxwing on my screen. I'm going to stare oh, at this for a little while. Look at that thing. Oh my god, it's beautiful, isn't it? I, yeah. No, I'm going to link to it from the show notes. So go right now. We're at the end of the podcast. Go look at the cedar waxwing for give yourself like 20 minutes with it. Seriously. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be good. A little little meditation, a little nurturing. Yeah, good. Jason, thanks so much for being on the show. Hey, it was super fun, Jeff. Great to talk to you again. And that's another episode of Presentable. Hey, got any questions? You can email us at hello at presentable.fm or get in touch via Twitter by following Presentable FM. We hope you've really enjoyed the show. And if you do, could you take a moment and give us a rating on iTunes? It really helps and we'd really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. And until next time, I'm Jeffrey Veen and this was Presentable. Presentable.